We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, still busy. It's my last week of having two jobs, so it's, yeah, it's hectic. <laughs> Now, I feel required to give you a bit of a hard time about this. I understand things have been hectic, but your pop music article did not make it. No, it, it's not even close. I'm not going to lie. It's it, What happens is I keep adding a couple hundred words and then thinking of another thing to add. So then that will itself require another 400 words. So it's like one step forward, several steps back, every, like almost every day. Has it occurred to you that maybe this should be a series of articles? No, 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 no. Because then, no, that's just a whole no. May May Nothing I ask, what's the word count at this point? Because it was at like three thousand the last time we talked. Yeah, it's a honestly, it's probably like thirty five hundred. Like I haven't made that much headway. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, it it is April now. So that does mark the end of favorite TV month and the start of our new monthly theme at Sound Outside, which will be a joint theme, the same theme for both film and television. This month, it is locations and. I didn't think that that was going to be a particularly uh, fascinating topic, but there are, people have been pitching a lot of really great articles, so there should be good stuff coming. Yeah, that surprised me too, because I never think about this stuff, ever, <laughs> but I guess other people do, so yeah, it should be interesting. Yeah, there's a couple different themes we have sort of planned out over the year. There's a particular theme that we will be doing that'll be TV-specific in November that... Certain people who are listening this week will know what that has to be based on the, the month. But other than that, I don't know. We're going to have to do music so to, so you have more impetus to get your pop music art, article up. But there's lots of good stuff coming. I don't know. What what location should I talk about? Sunnydale's already been taken by somebody else. I don't know. Like I said, I, I never think of – I think about characters, man. I never think about places. If you guys have any thoughts on uh, what you'd like us to, to talk about or to write about for locations, let us know. We Of course, we always love to hear from you guys. This week we heard from Mario talking about SCTV. Of course, that was our DVD shelf last week. And apparently Mellonville is based on Pittsburgh where he lived after school. So he has a special connection with that. Nice to hear, Mario, that hopefully you enjoyed that SCTV segment. Talked Game of Thrones and Walking Dead with Ken. Uh, Kyle talks a little bit about uh, jumping in on shows mid-series, like like we did this this year with Southland and with Parenthood and some other shows. I'm all for that now. I'm 100% on board with that. Yeah. I mean, I think it wouldn't work in some cases, but I mean, generally, if you've watched TV before, you know what it's like to watch something in media res. So I don't think it's, yeah, I, I'm developing a, a fondness for that as well. Especially because it's less work. <laughs> well, and I wouldn't have said that even just not even a, a full year ago, nine months ago, I would not have said that. But 
now I, I don't know. I guess I'm a convert. Uh, we also talked with Keith, who loved the Vampire Diaries this week because there was plenty of Katerina or Catherine. We'll talk about that a little later in the show. Also, Amanda, heard from Amanda, she's currently watching both Doctor Who and Supernatural. Um, but she's watching two seasons at once because she's catching up on the show, but also watching the current season. So uh, well done, Amanda, keeping that straight in your head. There's a lot of serialized elements to those to those shows, like underneath the the plot of the week so uh well done keeping those straight i hope you're having a lot of fun with that but we should mention well first of all of course we're going to have at the end of the show our dvd shelf with david Bax from from battleship retention and previously on and soon to be another exciting new podcast with uh, another former guest uh, paul gobel but the uh that is going to be at the end of the show we had lots of fun and oh we talked for a long time this is a long dvd shelf to, just to warn anybody listening and yet i never asked you uh, Simon, which do you prefer, Buffy or Angel? Buffy. Okay. It's not really that. Like, there's a lot I like about Angel, but it, to me, it's not even really close. Very interesting. And then the other thing that I forgot to ask, and I feel like if you talk about Angel, you have to answer this question. Who would win in a fight, astronauts or cavemen? Cavemen. See, and I, 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 I got to give it to astronauts, clearly. this will We'll have to get into a conversation about that after we finish the show. But for now, we should jump into our week in TV because there's a lot of TV to talk about. Fair enough. And once again, we're going to keep it genre-specific. We're going to do the comedies first. And this week, that means uh, for our week in comedy, New Girl, Chicago, Mindy Project, Danny's Friend, Cougar Town, This Old Town, Archer, The Papal Chase, and Happy Endings, In the Heat of the Knock, and The Straight Dope. Everyone quiet! Baby Justice is on. Oh, this is that show about a sassy toddler named Justice who's also the honorary sheriff of a small town in Ohio. The tagline is, I'm getting too old for this poop. Pop to me. Push my gun. Well, that crap is PBS compared to the other stuff she watches, which is basically people just getting hit in the sack for cash and prices. <laughs> it's funny because we're a nation in decline. Which of these many did you watch and which of these do you want to talk about? I watched the two episodes of Happy Endings. I watched Archer and I watched New Girl. Of those, I have to say I may have laughed the most at the second episode of Happy Endings, uh, The Straight Dope, especially uh, the the opening scene which featured a uh, little baby sheriff or whatever that was. Which, <laughs> baby justice. Uh, baby <laughs> justice, which com- combined with the line about, ah, oh, we're a nation in decline. That <laughs> that got to me probably the most of anything this week. Um, but I did like Archer a lot as well. Yeah, I watched all of those. I would uh, want to specifically mention in- on Cougar Town, the, the, the renaming of the boat to the sea story was what, probably my favorite extended uh, sequence or, or running gag throughout an episode all week. And there were a lot of really good ones this week. There's a lot of really fun comedy. But just the self-awareness that they have at this point with Cougar Town, it should annoy me. But it, it just it, it's so charming that it doesn't. And that's a very similar sort of a f- relationship that I have with Happy Endings here. I mean, there's plenty of meta-commentary within these episodes and uh, self-awareness of the fact that this show is doomed it's can we agree it's as much as we love happy endings it's not coming back yeah no it's it's totally screwed i mean i I would love to see it get rescued the way it happened to cougar town but i it's fairly unlikely at this point yeah uh, the i think my favorite of those two i also i liked in the heat of the knock but i i think i preferred like you the straight dope it was just so funny to watch alex be smart I I thought Alicia Cuthbert did a a great job with that storyline. And I would like to see uh, Smart Alex pop up every now and again. That'd be fun. Mm -hmm. And I think also it it provided us with some of the funniest Alex and Dave scenes yet. 
Oh, definitely. Dave's Dave's the one that's hardest to make work, I feel like. And that was a good playing the dumb slash dumb straight man, I think, worked well for him. Um, But uh, I also really liked Archer and we haven't had enough Woodhouse this season. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was nice to get a, a, a correction there. Out of all the Archer episodes of the season, this was the one that had the most jokes that had that had me wondering. I know this is funny, but I'm not sure why. And just just all the all the arcane Vatican references, I needed to look up immediately, and there were a lot of them. There was a lot of really great uh, papal humor, yes, in Archer this week, and really just the um, just as soon as they started off with Lana wondering if there were any, if the, just the pondering on if there were black nuns and like. Well, I don't think there's a rule against it. Just like <laughs> I don't know, they, there's been uh, some, you know, some level of discussion, right? Since the the new pope has come up, he's been in he's been in office, I guess. I don't know what the term is uh, for a while now, but uh, but still, it's fresh enough that the, the humor there was particularly entertaining and topical for me. I was I was wondering though, when we got more Woodhouse, who's watching the We Baby Famous? That's true, and uh, I, I will once again say that we have the fact that he hasn't shown up has been a real problem. Well, as much as I have any real problems with Archer, it's the closest thing I have to a real problem, and I don't think we're likely to get any wee baby Seamus in the two-part finale set in a you know basically set in sea lab from what i understand spoiler alert <laughs> yeah the one other thing i wanted to mention about this episode is i like them putting pam in the field but i like that even though she has all the skill set one could possibly need for this that she's uh entertainingly incompetent right now and, and that it makes her very um she's she gets flustered she's nervous she she wants to do really well and so she's striving and she's really really cares about this i love the the direction this has taken her character at least in this episode and i hope that continues because it's really fun to see her because pam as just really gross and hilariously offensive is 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 entertaining but this i think is even better it gives the character some depth and lets her become a new a fresh comedic voice for the show yeah and i think also it limits the overlap between pam and cheryl who i think kind of fill a similar position a lot of the time in terms of the comedy they deliver yeah. With Cheryl being slightly more oversexed, if anything. So I think it frees them up a little bit more. Definitely. And the last one I do want to talk about a bit is Chicago for, by, from New Girl. And I thought this was, I thought it was a really good episode. Margot Martindale, certain elements of the episode didn't quite work for me. And the in the ghetto sequence is one of them. But in general, I did like Margot Martindale. This was an incredibly laugh out loud episode for me. Just all of the the humor from the roommates watching Nick in relation to his family. It felt very truthful. It just little things like Schmidt don't don't laugh when they say he's responsible. They don't understand why it's funny. Things like that really did work for me. And I think that uh, this episode managed to balance the comedic with the the emotional uh, to to the to the best extent yet there was that that cancer scare episode that they did last season that was very effective but it felt more like they put the comedy on hold for that episode whereas here they managed to incorporate both or at least for me they did it, it worked for me what did you think yeah i have to say the only stuff i actually laughed out loud at was margo martindale's just utter lack of interest in zoe Deschanel mm-hmm. and utter lack of you know just utter just not being impressed with her at all, which, you know, mirrors my feelings about that character most of the time. <laughs> so for me, that was a very simpatico moment. The rest, you know, there were some light chuckles, but I uh, I didn't feel like 
it was nearly as funny as the show at its best. Interesting. You weren't laughing at Schmidt overcoming his fear of carcasses. <laughs> yeah, it was all right, but I, it, it kind of just reeked of we need we need something wacky for Schmidt to do this episode. Let's invent a phobia and run with that. Like it didn't really feel like it was rooted in the character in any significant way. Oh wow, yeah, T- totally. You know, that's the thing with comedy, right? Some stuff works for people, and you don't even necessarily know specifically why. So this episode really worked for me. It sounds like it didn't for you. Who's the winner for you this week? Which episode do you point to? I'm gonna have to go with the second happy endings episode, if only out of pity. <laughs> okay, and um, ha, huh, it's it's tricky. There, were, for at least for me, I really actually enjoyed all of these episodes. I guess I would give it. I'm remembering the buttons. I think I have to give it to New Girl uh, Chicago for, for some of the Schmidt stuff. But it was definitely a good week in comedy. Next up, we're going to talk about our week in genre TV. What did I miss? Oh, quite a lot, actually. Uh, Angie called. She's going to stay over at Nina's. Apparently that's all completely fine and you shouldn't worry like you always do. For God's sake, get off her back. Also, your dad phoned, mainly about the government. He seems very cross with them. I've got several pages on that. I said I'd look into it. I fixed that rattling noise in the washing machine, indexed the kitchen cupboards, optimized the photosynthesis in the main flower bed, and assembled the quadricycle. Assembled the what? I found a disassembled quadricycle in the garage. I don't think he did. I invented the quadricycle. First up, we have the Walking Dead season finale, Welcome to the Tombs. Uh, Of course, we mentioned this. It was a very significant episode for the genre television that was going on. But, of course, we have our Walking Dead podcast, which should already be on the feed. Yes. So we're not going to talk about that right now. If you are curious what we think about that, go ahead and uh, check out Sound on Sight and and hear our fuller thoughts there. We had a lot of fun talking about that. And uh, once again, we just can't agree. Even when I like it, I like this episode, but we just we can't agree. It's it's fun. Apparently not. (laughs) Um, Next up is Supernatural Freaks and Geeks. I just wanted to mention this one because I very much enjoy Madison McLaughlin as Chrissy, this kid sort of hunter who who's come up on the show a couple times and i think that uh, there is i think there's a show there to be uh, had with with those that group of kid hunters or whatever i think you could make something good stick uh, you know manage dj qual's uh, schedule so that he can go be their bobby on this show on on like a spin off with those characters give him you know after he's done filming legit or whatever and i think that could be I think that could be a really fun show. I guess I just really enjoy her. I know some people aren't fi- fond of that character, but I want to give her a shout out this week. But you want to mention uh, the Game of Thrones premiere because, of course, on this this season you will not be joining us for the the Sound and Sight Game of Thrones podcast. No, it was a tough decision, but I felt like being doing some responsible time management for a change. So <laughs> that's no, crazy. That won't be happening. I I, I may drop in. Uh, I I'm almost certainly going to drop in a couple of times, but no, I won't be there every week. But I will be writing reviews uh, because I'm silly that way. So my review of uh, episode one, Valar something or other. Yeah, De Harris. I can't. I can't. De there we go. Valar De Harris. I, I just. You know, I write the reviews, but it doesn't mean I have to remember all the gibberish. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, my review's up. It was good. It wasn't mind-blowing, but it was good. Okay. Do you Nothing nothing further. Which character are you happiest to see, and which character did you miss the most? Oh, obviously, Tyrion is the answer to both of those questions. Anyone who says anything different is s- silly. Oh, no, I meant of the characters that didn't appear. Oh, that didn't appear. Uh, Brienne, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's... there's um. 
it's tricky when you have a, this many characters and it's something we talk about on the walking dead podcast a lot with an issue that show has that it has too many cast members that they don't really know how to deal with it I mean, yeah and then game of thrones looks at them and just laughs and laughs and laughs, <laughs> apparently there are going to be something like 250 named characters in this season of game of thrones well they're adding 20 new ones so, so there you go <laughs> at least let's move on though to the first show that we're both going to talk about which is vampire diaries this week american gothic i have my review up at sound on site you can see what i thought there i was a bit underwhelmed by this episode i i do actually very much respect nina dobrev as an actress i think she's proven herself uh, very capable and that she can do a lot when she's given material to work with um, she did just this this year already even uh, with stand by me an episode just a couple weeks back but I was, I guess I was, because of that, I was hoping for a lot more, but when we got our final, you know, the first confrontation or scene with Catherine and this switched off Elena, and I just, I don't know, I was underwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't help that this week we have the addition of another show where someone does the whole multiple personalities, same uh, face thing better than she does Mm -hmm. in the first episode, which is not good for her, I don't think, but... um, yeah, I, I think my main issue with Vampire Diaries right now has been the same for a while, which is even when they pull out a great episode every now and again, it's just the master plot that doesn't interest me uh, this season. It d- doesn't have the urgency that it should. Yeah, I did enjoy Rebecca in this episode, um, and I, I liked that we got Elijah back. I, I enjoyed that character quite a bit. But and something I talked about in my review, it, see, it seems odd to me that they chose to have a character like Catherine apparently go through somewhat of a character development and change off screen because it seems like it's a rather significant one and that if you wanted to do that, you should you should have that happen, I don't know, in an episode. I mean, if you look at a show like Fringe, you talk about people acting against themselves or with themselves in scenes. They took an entire season and went back and forth between two different sets of characters played by some of the same actors. They That's easily something that Vampire Diaries could have done um, to flesh out Catherine the way that they seem to want to, and especially to reintroduce Elijah into the fold and theoretically, I guess, spin him off with the originals. Um, but I don't know. I was glad that Rebecca got to be awesome to some extent this week. She was a lot of fun because really Caroline, she's, oh, yay. <laughs> you're still saying that you're going to slaughter my my one true love, but you're not actively killing him right now. So thanks. That's that's ha- yeah. coquettish half smile, Klaus. Coquettish half smile. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that the accent must be irresistible and all, but still, it's no, it's a bit much. Especially it's not for... irresistible. <laughs> no? no? There you go. I mean, I can't speak to that. But um, yeah, it's not a good look for Caroline. No. But let's move on, though, to another show that I, of course, like so much more than you. I love this show, even when uh, I'm angry and when I'm fighting with it. And I kind of am fighting with it a little bit right now. And that's Doctor Who, The Bells of St. John. And uh, this is the season season seven episode six um episode seven there's some there's some production code uh, uh wonkiness going on there because of the christmas special but uh i like this new companion clara but the trouble that i have with this episode is that it really seems to me and of course my review by now my review should be up at soundonsite.org for this as well is that it really seems like stephen moffat has gotten to a point because uh, of course he is also running Sherlock, and that show's fantastic. We you know we love that show, but it seems like he's really proven himself at this point not able to tell 
a, a successful and engaging full story in 45 or 50 minutes because it was a problem last in the last uh, or the first half of the this current season and it's a problem here where there's a lot of really interesting nice moments or character beats but you get to the, you know they build up this mystery this you know this puzzle to be solved or this um this conflict and then that's it wrap it up in 5 minutes unit just kind of comes in even though they haven't been in the rest of the episode and it nothing is really resolved or explained and pay no attention character and I'm all for character, and, and I love that, and it's important, but it's not satisfying for me to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the since I know less about the overall mythology of the show, I think the issues for me were mostly just the whole, you know, evil, evil Wi-Fi hotspot thing was just silly, and it's like terrible. having characters... <laughs> And just having characters be like, oh, it's in the Wi-Fi. It's like, oh. It was just such a corny old man <laughs> script. Feels it's like just, the net. Yeah, yeah. It feels like you're, yeah. It, it, it just felt instantly dated and like it's going to be impossible to watch even in a year. And the Twitter joke was horrible and uh, just so many groan-worthy moments with that. And also the, the anytime there's a sequence of uh, like cross-cut between two characters furiously typing, it just instantly takes me to this is a spoof of something, right? Like you're not <laughs> expecting us to take this seriously as suspense, right? Because this is just deeply silly. And I know they're not actually typing anything. Um, in fact, I would have loved if, if it had come with an accurate, like Microsoft word readout of what was actually being typed, I would have liked the sequence much more. Um, but yeah, it's so that aspect didn't really work for me. I, I also like Clara. I mean, I think, she, I think that Jenna Louise Coleman is really fun to watch. But yes, she definitely feels very, very similar to people we've just had. Well, and there's it's not just that. There's there's a lot in this episode and in some of the Moffat era in general, and I've really enjoyed most of the Moffat era. Um, it seems like it kind of lost some steam here and there. And I know that Stephen Moffat has talked about having writer's block and having you know struggling with some of this stuff, but. Um, but it really seems like they're hoping that if they just speed up the dialogue and speed up the the pace of everything and the energy of everything that you that you won't think or you won't notice things such as the character has her mind re mind rewritten in this episode she knew nothing about computers and then she was uploaded or whatever and comes back to her body and now she's a computer genius shouldn't that be troubling for her shouldn't she be i don't in some way concerned or remark upon that that she's no longer herself yeah you you think that wouldn't you but she's just like i know computers now this is awesome there's definitely she doesn't a... even say that this is awesome she says i'm gonna take care of this now because i know computers yeah and I, and i hate to say it but there's definitely a manic pixie element to that character that i'm not yeah. totally crazy about especially combined with the the scoring and the general uh sort of fairy tale like romantic fairy tale thing they've got going on which in context i just find a little bit creepy to be honest uh which yeah i don't think that's scoring the right tone for me well and they did the fairy tale thing in season five with amy that her her um her introduction and the even just the scoring you mentioned uh murray gold scoring uh was very fairy tale and this feels like like you said like a more romantic fairy tale like a knight in shining armor kind of more medieval i guess fairy tale whereas that one was more of a 
child wonderment sort of fairy tale. But it seems like it's such a strange thing to go back to once again. And this is something we were talking about earlier with, with Clara, as much as I enjoy Jen Louise Coleman, and I think there's a really great chemistry between her and Matt Smith, There's I can't think of a single character trait that seems... Well, I can't really think of many for Clara anyways, but I can't think of a single one that doesn't also apply to River and or Amy. Yeah. Like I said, it just it feels awfully familiar. And I, I, I know that uh, among Who fans, the idea that, you know, Companion is romantically interested in the Doctor is sort of really old hat by now. It is. And also this doctor the doctor being romantically interested in the companion is this is the now two in a row and for a character who feels so completely similar similar to river are we supposed to not think about the fact that he's technically married to and or involved with romantically river at this point are we just supposed to not think about that when he's swooning over this new puzzle for him to solve rather than an actual person yeah so I'll, I'll I'll be curious to see if they do something different with that. But yeah, they but the actual plots of the week need to be way better and less corny than this. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. I, the fan reaction seems to be a bit more positive uh, than I would expect for, for this one. But then again, I, I also understand having waited for a while just to be glad that the show is back at all. Um, I, I, I tend I was trying to I was watching this trying to think of things that are more creative to say about it, because I guess I'm kind of in the exact same place as other critics as Mo Ryan and these other critics who follow it and write about Doctor Who. Um, I'm kind of right with them on this. So I'm hoping that there will be a change at some point in the characterization and that will, it'll feel like, I don't know, I don't know like a self-defined series as opposed to just another retread, but we should probably, speaking of retread, we should probably move on to the next show. Yes. Yes, we should. Um, and that final show for our weekend genre is is the premiere or the pilot of Orphan Black. And uh, this is one that I wasn't even going to check out, but you, I saw on Twitter that you had. So I was like, oh, I better catch up to Simon. Ah, there you go. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I've been, I'd actually been hearing relatively positive things about this, which I found strange because it's like, I guess it's a Canadian-British co-production, which you don't see all that often. And like, first of all, I just want to get out of the way that it's gratifying to watch North American actors pretend to be British people and not the other way around because that never happens anymore. But yeah, I mean, I, th I think the nice thing about this, I think the best thing about this pilot is out of all the recent pilots I've seen, it's the one that most just throws you into the deep end and doesn't really bother trying to be a pilot, if that makes sense. Like it just, it really feels like you're in the, you're quite literally in media res with these people who don't really spend a whole lot of time explaining to you who they are. They just kind of are who they are and we just accept it which is which they maybe even do too much but it's better than the opposite so i think they quite smartly dodge a lot of those issues i think also they you know the end of the episode really just you know they don't they don't bother explaining anything to us about what the central mystery of the show is or whether it's a science fiction series or not really even um, which I'm guessing it is based on its pedigree and where it's airing and other aspects. But yeah, I, I like that we don't really know what the show is about yet. That's kind of an interesting position to be in. Well, and it puts you in the position of our lead character, and that's a smart approach to take. And uh, I mean, I think at this point, viewer, anybody watching BBC America immediately after Doctor Who is probably going to have an idea of one of the 
only a few possible directions this could be going. But I like that they do, you know, they, they don't speak down to the audience with that. They do let you kind of just figure it out as you go along. And it's that it's a thing where really, especially with uh, with a pilot or something like this, the the more explainy pilots tend to be, the the more they just sort of get you to tune out and the way to get a you know way to get your audience to care about your characters is to give them a reason to rather than to tell them the backstory show it to them and that's something that this pilot does very well i was actually i i had heard some good things from various places but i hadn't heard enough of them i don't think i i went in with sort of tepid but mildly positive expectations and uh, was very pleased with this. It was a lot of fun. It, it does feel um, somewhat of a piece, though in a very different world, with Lost Girl. I think there's a, this is a more dramatic series, but elements of the production made it feel that you know element feel familiar to me. And I look forward to watching, to watching more of it. Are you going to be in for the season? I think so. I mean, people who have seen more episodes than we have seem to be even more positive on it. So that's probably a good sign. I think Tatiana Maslany is quite good. Mm -hmm. And in what's actually a really demanding role and or set of roles, I guess. The the degree and from what I understand later in the season, there's just a ludicrous level of multiple Maslanis pretending to be each other. Or like, or pretending to be each other, pretending to be each other. So <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to all that, uh, all that jazz, which I assume will also make uh, sort of up the humor quotient somewhat, which it could probably use. Yeah, yeah, I think it could definitely use some humor, but I like that again. Like, like we said, I like that there are stakes. I like that we are immediately with. Um, our lead character, but not necessarily um, in agreement of her. Yeah, clearly, she has, to some extent, abandoned her child. So I like that they don't back away from that and the, what that means about who she is and what that means for her daughter. So I don't know. I also like that as much as they give you so much in this pilot, they don't give you everything. They don't try to ask you to keep track of who is Mrs. S or I don't remember her that character's name, but they don't try to give you everything at once. They let you just sort of get used to the world in this episode. Yeah. It's it's very smart, the the structuring of this episode. So I'm looking forward to more. So in this week of so many genre series, which one wins for you? What's uh, what's the standout? Uh out of these it's gotta be Orphan Black, I guess. I mean okay. it was just it was I wasn't expecting another good new series at this point, so I I'll 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 give it up. Yeah, I um I'm gonna take Walking Dead and Game of Thrones out of contention for this because yeah, I was also doing that. Oh well, you see, but you're not on the Game of Thrones podcast. Would you? Oh, would well, you like better Game of Thrones or Orphan Black? I like them about the same. I mean, Game of Thrones has more heavy lifting to do, but I think Orphan Black is just you know it's it's doing very different things that are very tricky, and I think it pulls off most of them. So I would put them on about equal footing. Yeah, I, I uh, of the shows that aren't, I won't be talking about for a half an hour, at least in a separate podcast, I would give this to this week to Orphan Black, and I would not have expected that a week ago. I would have assumed I would be over the moon about having Doctor Who back. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where that kind of falls out over the next several weeks. Definitely. Now let's move on to our week in reality. <laughs> Like it. 
So for our week in reality this week, of course, once again, we have The Voice and The Amazing Race. The Voice, I don't really have much new to say. There were some performances I very much enjoyed, and I look forward to to hearing. The thing I do want to say about The Voice is that this show is called The Voice. Why are they casting only incredibly hot people for to be on it? It's, it, it's I don't know, it feels increasingly disingenuous. And this week when they had the former model half-naked, uh, you know, they, they, they made sure they caught an image of him. Uh, the, the camera caught a mirror of him while he was changing so that we could see his six pack. I mean, you're trying to sell yourself on your credibility and your musical, uh, honesty. And, and this is the kind of, uh, these are the shots that you're choosing to air. It's really, it, it's increasingly bothering me. And, uh, you know, the, everybody who's on the show, who's any good would be just as likely to succeed on American Idol. I, I really would like to see the show have a little bit more thought about that and, and to try to hold on to that little shred of credibility that they still kind of have. Um, but other than that, you know, it's it's The Voice. I'm still enjoying it. It's fun for me to watch and overanalyze and uh, get into, you know, the specifics of my musical approach to some of these performers. But let's talk about uh, instead The Amazing Race and Be Safe and Don't Hit a Cow and the fact that we are we are just sucking in the pool. Yeah, yeah. Our my and then your hence our team uh, got eliminated this week in a in very unspectacular fashion. Yeah, uh, which was which was disappointing. But my my big takeaway for this week though is I really feel like this was maybe a low watermark for Amazing Race ugly Americanisms because there were a lot. Uh, yeah, there. I didn't feel like ugly Americanism to me in general because uh, I, I don't know. I don't fault people for going, holy crap, Africa's gorgeous when they're on a safari. I don't feel bad about that. But I do uh, tend to not be uh, overly fond of statements like, Africa just kind of smells like poo or whatever it was that Winona said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was really uncomfortable for me. But uh, I, you mentioned when we were talking about this that there was a first on this episode. I assume you're referring to the speeding tickets. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that before. With uh, you know, basically them, I would assume intentionally sending the teens through a speed trap. Yeah, which was kind of neat, I guess. I'm, yeah, it's it's surprising that it hasn't come up more frequently, considering they're racing. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the other thing about this episode, of course, Pam and Winnie, who we liked, were eliminated. The thing with that is, obviously, any mistake can get you kicked off the race. I'm a little frustrated that they got kicked off because it really seems like they, the producers, have gone out of the way, out of their way to create so many um, catching up points that even though Pam and Winnie had built up or should have built up by this point a substantial lead, such that this wouldn't eliminate them. Um, they, they weren't able to. And, and, and I think you can see that this week with, with Bates and Anthony, who should have a huge lead, several hour lead over the rest of the teams. I don't have any sense that that is going to be maintained as soon as they start the next leg. It really seems like the, the producers are very intent on making sure there's a flight that they have to catch where they will all be in the same point. And so the thing, the reason that's frustrating to me is that as I watch the amazing race, you see how one silly mistake like like we see this week can cost a team who has consistently done very well, whereas teams who have consistently made stupid mistakes can lock out for weeks after weeks after weeks. 
Yeah, that's that's definitely frustrating. And oh, we were so close to losing Joey and Megan this week, and it just didn't happen. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I I remembered why I like Pam and Winnie so much when when they got to the end. We're just like, no tears, bitches. That was fantastic. Oh yeah, crying is for bitches. That was that was amazing. I did. Uh, I wanted to tweet that out, but knew it would be a spoiler. So so I so I didn't. But yeah, I, I very much enjoyed them on this race. You're gonna switch. You said to Bates and Anthony. I feel like they're the only sane choice now. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I feel like none of these teams are smart. Um, and the, the only team that seems to have any sort of uh, smarts uh, are Max and Katie, and they are increasingly unlikable. Okay, and this week, they were they were sniping at each other and being bitchy again. So if they're not, if those two aren't going to be funny, I'm not going to enjoy watching them. So oh, it's really hard. I, I, I'm giving it to the roller derby moms just to be different. Because there are already people who have Bates and Anthony for so many more points in the pool. So I don't want to, to you know, I'm going to try to go a different direction. But I don't know. This has been, while the, the scenery and some of the challenges have been very interesting and fun, this has really been a somewhat uh, disappointing season of The Amazing Race for me. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah. Um, let's go on to our final segment, which is our week in drama. You were Sweeney's arraignment, weren't you? Yes. You automatically asked for a speedy trial, Yes, right? by road. I are we past 160 days? No. Tomorrow. We're not ready to go to trial. I know. But the prosecution isn't either. They were thinking of slow playing this until the Supreme Court opinion came down. So we would have to rush this? Yeah. You have to conduct a defense and get it to deliberations before the Supreme Court opinion comes down. Or Sweeney faces life in prison. That's right. We have to run the fastest trial in history. Our final segment of the week is our week in in prestige drama, and this week is it's a doozy. There's there's a yes. lot. Yes, there is. Uh, let's start with Southland, and uh, let's just immediately pour some praise on a guy who doesn't get enough of it, and that's Gerald McRaney. Yeah, who absolutely just stomps all through this episode and is especially in those last five minutes. Holy crap. Somebody give this man uh, all the awards awards or or tons of money (laughs) or something. Cause yeah, that's an amazing sequence. Holy crow. Yeah. It was something that uh, Alan Seppenwell had been, had been really praising because he had seen it earlier than, uh, than at least the general viewing public. And, and so going into the episode, I need to expect, of something really great from Gerald McGraney and also Michael Cudlitz. And so I kept kind of waiting for it. And, um, and the hype had sort of, uh, it had overhyped the earlier scenes for me. So I was like, I mean, I, yeah, he's really good, but I mean, I mean, I don't know what's so amazing. And then we get to the final scene and it's just devastating. And, what I love about that performance, of course, Michael Cullis does such a great job supporting Rainey in that scene. The scene wouldn't work if it was just Rainey by himself. But the the physicality of that performance, his his posture and his stance, and what that tells you about where the character's at is is fantastic. It it really shifts over the course of that scene, and then also just it's such an unvain performance. It's it's um, it's not pretty. And uh, it's but but it's very truthful. Yeah. And it's it's sort of too bad. I mean, the rest of the episode is fine for the most part, but it's I almost have no memory of it just because those last few minutes were so overpowered. We talk about how it gets dusty in the room sometimes like I that wasn't dusty. I was just outright crying. 
by the end of it. It was it was rough. Yeah, there was a lot in this episode that was very good. The episode's called Heroes, and um, we get we got a little information about uh, about Coop's dad. Yeah, yeah, and that led to another really great scene. But yeah, that was so far the most awkward moment about jumping into Southland this late was learning about that. Rather significant. I, I, I assume that had to have been, that can't have just been something they just brought up for the first time. <laughs> but no, the, the theme of, um, of the, you know, he, he obviously, he doesn't care about his father. He cares far more for Gerald McRaney's character. That's the, that's the person he's going to invest in. So you have that sense of found and um, earned family in there. And it's something that continues throughout the episode with, especially with, um, Regina King's character and her struggles with her her ex and and Christopher and all of that, but no, it's really for me. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. We probably should move on, but that that last scene we had to talk about it. Yes, we did, and there's yeah, there's a few sequences like that this week. I think. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to our next uh, prestige drama. Um, not really in a different week. If we didn't have such a ridiculously long DVD shelf. Any of these episodes could be, have been in the spotlight. Um, another episode, the next one we're going to talk about is Justified, Peace of Mind. And we we had the return of Limehouse last week, but this really felt like the return of Limehouse. This is the Limehouse that we first met, and it was great to see, to, to see that really brought up. And it, he felt in this episode like the character he must have been to have established the relationship he did in season three with Ava or before season three that is but also with with Raylan's mom and these other women that he that he would help out who could find uh safety in Noble's Holler I'm curious what you thought about Limehouse this week as well as everything else that we get uh well the Limehouse Ava stuff is obviously great and I think it's good to see his sort of shifting perspective on what Ava can be especially since you know Ava's such a tricky character who's always evolving um, the, I think the, the cliffhanger this week is really effective. Just that whole scene was just so unsettling. I don't think justified, I may come to regret this, but I don't think justified is the kind of show that has the stones to kill off pregnant Winona. <laughs> it just doesn't see, it seems like too dark a move for them to do, but I've been wrong before. And you know, it's, it's not, it's not like, uh, Natalie Zia is going to be able to stick around on the show. So I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I think they have the stones to kill off Winona. I just don't think that we want to see a Raylan next season who's had that happen in his life. I don't know what the show would be because I feel like that would just destroy him. And he's already been pretty messed up all season. Yeah, but I, I do think that it would be thematically appropriate considering his family history and what happened to Helen and uh, presumably his mother also, although that's sort of a question mark. Um, so yeah, it makes sense in a way, but yeah, I agree. I don't know if that's like a just, it, I don't know if, if, if we really want to lose wisecracking Raylan forever, which I think we would have to happen at that point. Yes, definitely. Let's talk about Colt and, uh, that final showdown with Tim. That was really tense. That was a really, really good showdown. I think I was so smart to give that kind of a showdown to a character like Tim who isn't necessarily immortal like Raylan. Yeah. And I, I, just, I don't know. I, I didn't really ever feel like Tim was in danger there because he has been so reliable throughout the entire series. He always is on top of his game. And um, 
he always seems just so competent, right? <laughs> that uh, I wasn't actually ever uh, worried for him in that moment. But the arc of Colt and the way that they've tied him in with Tim all season long has been very well handled. And as much as I, I will miss having Colt on the show, and as much as um, it does kind of throw up a big question mark for me about what next season could be for Boyd and or Ava, assuming one or both of them lives. Um, yes. It, it did feel appropriate to have that be something that is contained to the season. And if Colt's going to go out to have Tim involved. Yeah, I, I think Boyd has to live. The whole the whole show is framed around the Boyd real and relationship. I don't think Ava has to live. I think that she might very well not live. So yeah, um, I, I I've, I've been saying that for a while, and I'm sticking to my guns on that one, so to speak. But yeah, I, people who have seen the finale seem to be quite happy with it, and have thankfully been very good about not spoiling it. So I'm, I, but if it's not amazing, I'm, I'll be very disappointed, frankly. Well, I'm sure that we will have plenty to say about the Justified finale next week. We're going to have a season spotlight on Justified next week. So that's going to be instead of a DVD shelf. So instead of like this week, we have about 50 minutes talk on, on Angel. I'm, I have a feeling we could have 50 minutes talk on Justified next week if uh, whoever we bring in for a guest is willing to to let us go on that long. But totally, we should probably move on to our next show because we do have only so much time. And it was an excellent episode as well. And that's The Good Wife, The Wheels of Justice. And if we were category, if, if, if our categorization was more fluid, I actually would have put this in with the comedies because this was one of the funniest things I think we saw this week. And probably one of the, I, I think for me, one of the funniest good wives ever. Yeah. Is it, it was pretty great. No, it was, it was pretty hilarious. The, they brought back Colin Sweeney several times over the course of the show. Obviously, Dylan Baker is really great in the role, and adding it, uh, Marina Baccarin into the mix last time was pretty fun. But the, it, you know, it was one of those characters that the first introduction was fantastic. The second introduction was was really great. By the third time he was back, it you know it was starting to feel a little played out. And I love that they went a completely different way with it this time. It's he's clearly innocent based on you know pretty much all the information that they have. And so it's not about him, really. It's about everything else that kind of goes around. Uh, it's not about the morality of, of Colin Sweeney at this point. And uh, I think that was a smart move. Yeah, and I almost wonder if they didn't conceive the episode around being able to schedule Marina Baccarin rather than Dylan Baker, because she's kind of the secret star of the episode. And her, her I think I laughed harder at her testimony <laughs> than any anything else this week, including the actual comedies. That was fantastic. And I think makes made great use of her, you know, obviously the comic gifts she doesn't really get to show off on Homeland. Well, and due to get into that comedy, we got to mention the, the Vampire Diaries fanfic. Fanfic shit. <laughs> or actually, or slash fiction or whatever you want to oh, call it. God, yeah, yeah. I, I pictured I pictured you grinning like an idiot when when that scene came up. It was hilarious. I, I, I would like to believe. I actually want to believe that Diane actually did write it. Yeah. And and was just denying it. I mean, it's not really in character, but it's funnier for me. <laughs> oh man! Well, because I was first seeing some, I was seeing tweets about this because I, you know, watched the Amazing Race first after getting back on Easter, and uh, and I was seeing something about Kalinda and Vampire Diaries fanfic, and I was like, wait, is Kalinda writing Vampire Diaries fanfic? Because I mean, it doesn't really. Again, that with her, feels wrong. It doesn't really yeah. fit, but I guess you know, if she was going to, she would write some some messed up but i would assume very popular with the larger community 
uh, uh, Vampire Diaries fanfic. I, you know, I, if Kalinda put her mind to it, she would write the next uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, but it would be yeah. more compelling, I would say. Probably, yes. Yeah. Um, we. I also wanted to mention Jess Weichler, who I guess is now a regular and was awesome this week. I, I, I loved her her serious face mm-hmm. at the interviews and, and her general handling of of the braggart, as she, as she was so fond of calling him. And if this also, if this episode means that we're going to get more Gary Cole, I'm totally for that because he rules. He does. It was so nice to see him back. That That's one of those characters that I think they've been really smart about parceling him out. If only because he and Diane do work so beautifully together that if you're not going to have them just be together, that then having him come up too frequently just makes it confusing, makes it not work. Because either yeah. either they're together or there's some reason why they're not together and that and, and therefore they aren't because they just they're too good together, you know, to, to be on again and off again. Mm-hmm. They have such fabulous chemistry. And the last thing I want to mention is it was just so nice to see um, to, to see Carrie and Alicia working together again like they, they did so frequently in some of the previous episodes this season and even before. And um yeah, I, I, I'm hoping that we'll get some more of that because those two really do have such an interesting backstory and also, you know, they, they just that, that respect and it, it, almost friendship to this at this point has really grown. And I, I, I very much enjoy watching them interact. Yeah. So that's two great ones in a row for The Good Wife, which sadly doesn't happen as often as I would like. But let's keep it up, man. I, I want uh, the last three episodes to knock them all out of the park. That would be great. And our final uh, prestige drama this week was Top of the Lake. And you actually did get to see uh, the, the episode from last night. So we're going to talk about episodes three and episodes four. And holy crap, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, I, I want we need to spoon out as much praise for Elizabeth Moss as we did for Gerald McRaney because just the whole first ten minutes of episode four is just mind-bogglingly amazing work from her, and again, just so emotionally devastating for anyone who has a semblance of human emotion. <laughs> yeah, it's so layered. It's not just something that's going to pull on your heartstrings or or that feels truthful or that um that sort of, it doesn't explain everything about her in a way that a more convenient or pat sort of show would would have happen we, we get some information about what's you know her connection with this case and with this place you know it's very it's a very location specific show that that makes some things click in all of a sudden you understand her relationship with her mother so much better. And with, uh, with, you know, why she's been engaged for five years, but not gotten married. And, and then Mm -hmm. even just with this case and, um, yeah, it's fascinating. And, um, yeah, I, I I want to see the rest of it now. (laughs) I'm impatient. (laughs) This is the difficulty of top of the lake is it puts us in a, in a weird position uh, here at the Televerse because a we're quite certain no one's watching it just based on the fact that not that many people have the Sundance channel and mm-hmm. uh, it's been it's so much more low profile than everything else we talk about but it's also better than almost everything we talk about <laughs> and it's also a miniseries so it's completely serialized with virtually no episodic elements that are you know strict strict to one episode so it's it, we also don't feel like we can spoil a lot. So I, I think what's going to happen is we're going to keep talking about it in a more vague sense. And then in a, in a few weeks when it's over, we're going to spend a, a whole segment on the whole shebang. Because, yeah, if, if, if we're entering an era of miniseries 
directed by amazing people like Jane Campion, I'm really happy. And by the way, that I, I love the scene this uh, this week in episode four, where we, we where we meet a character who collects bones, and he says, "Bones don't lie," because that's sort of the Campion ethos right there in three words. If you see some more of her stuff, it captures her earthy quality uh, so beautifully. So, and I kind of feel like that's going to be the ethos of the whole miniseries as well. Yeah, with each episode, the characters become more interesting and more nuanced and layered. And there's oh, there's bad stuff coming with uh, Jono, and I'm with I'm with her. I don't want to know. I do yeah. want to know, but I I don't need to know yet. Let's live in as, as <laughs> yeah. much of a happy world as we can for the next two weeks before the finale. But oh man, yeah, we're we're gonna do a full on spoilery dive you know deep dive into this mini series but you're right we should wait until more people have had a chance to catch up with it so if you aren't watching top of the lake watch top of the lake holy crap yes we can't we can't emphasize that enough yeah next week everybody's gonna be talking about mad men and uh listen loss you know peggy there and we'll just be like where, where have you been for the past three weeks because we've been singing yeah. your praises over on sundance channel uh anyway so in this highly stacked week for prestige oh, drama Jesus. which episode wins i'm gonna have to go top of the lake followed by um i think everyone else in a three-way tie <laughs> yeah top of the lake wins um southlands in last place just because it was really an episode carried by one amazing scene the rest was just really good um the justified at number three i don't know I, i'm not Tie. Tie between Good Wife and Justified. Tie, tie, tie. Ties are easy. Ties are easy. <laughs> um, well, before we go into our DVD shelf with David Bax from Battleship Pretension Talking Angel. Oh, I forgot to mention this at the top. Uh, I should have. Uh, David agrees with you and gives the vote to cavemen over astronauts. So it were two to one. And we, I don't have time to make my case here, but I, I, I will to you later. <laughs> um, we should do a few show notes. Of course, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. We'll have a post up at Sound on Sight with this uh, podcast so you can leave us comments there. Let us know what you're thinking about all these various shows, uh, all such great TV this week. Let us know if you're watching Top of the Lake. We really, really would like to know if there's any of you out there watching. Um, what should our question be? Uh, well, since, uh, since I just brought it up, I want to know who, like, filmmakers people want to see make a transition into television, especially in a miniseries format, because I was reading, uh, the reports from the upfronts with, uh, John Landgraf at FX, and they're bringing in Sam Mendes and a bunch of other people to do, uh, some of those, and they sound really fascinating, uh, for the most part, and I'm curious to who people want to see make that leap. Excellent question, yeah, yeah, I'll have to ponder that. And uh, come back with an answer. For, I'll, I'll post it up in, in the comments myself. So let us know what you think <coughs> about Ryan that. Ryan Johnson. <laughs> and, um, uh, of course, you can reach us both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? At Sucker Howell. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always like us on Facebook, at our Facebook page. And uh, I think uh, we should just dive in, head over to our DVD shelf, and um, c continue our trek through the Whedonverse. So we're going to take a quick break, listen to some music, and come back with David Bax of Battleship Retention to talk Angel. Once upon a time, there was a vampire, and he was the meanest vampire in all the land. Then one day he's cursed by gypsies. They restore his human soul, and all of a sudden he's mad with guilt. Goes to L.A., 
fight evil and atone for his crimes. A faceless champion of the hapless human race. Nothing in the world is the way it ought to be. It's harsh and cruel. But that's why there's us. Champions. Angel Investigations, we help the hopeless. Oh, I mean. Because you got potential. This is a business and we need to start running it like one. You think it's right to ask people in trouble for money? You know, there's a lot of people in this city need help. Can you carry that burden? We all got something to atone for. If there's no great glorious end to all this, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. with the televerse this is kate kalsik joined as ever by simon howell and this week at the dvd shelf we are bringing it back for a four pete that's david Bax from battleship retention and he's here to help us talk angel david you are our guest on our very first dvd shelf talking buffy and then at that time we said we're gonna have to have you back to talk angel it's finally time to have you back to talk angel welcome back to the show we're very happy to have you of course and angel thoughts <laughs> well okay well okay couple thoughts Thank you for having me back. I I'm, I'm uh, I, I love doing this. I think this is, if I'm being splitting hairs, this is like my three and a half. That's appearance true. That's true. Because the one was... I did with Sean yes. for Deadwood. Yes. Um. But yeah, I had a lot of fun talking talking Buffy and Cheers. Uh. And I'm so glad I could talk about Angel because, um, eh, okay, I always say, and I am not lying when I say it, that Buffy the Vampire Slayer is my favorite TV show of all time. But I also have another sort of uh, stock phrase that I like to use to uh, upset the uh, pious Buffy uh, fans, which is that at its best, Angel was a better show than Buffy was at its best. And um, that, uh, and, and, and so I, I, I think I'm able to hold both those opinions at the same time. Um, uh, but it makes me very excited to talk about Angel and sort of make the case for why it was uh it, it it got so good but i don't want to uh, i don't know what what sort of thoughts do you want from me just uh <laughs> <laughs> well i was going to ask why did you pick angel but you know, like i usually do but we all know why we're talking about angels because we we both love buffy and uh yeah. we- and and I also, you know, I do, I, Angel is such an interesting show. I don't know how we're going to not talk forever about it, honestly, because there are some things that it does so well, but there are also some really interesting and complex things that, at least I would say, that it really gets wrong. And it's so for mm. me, it's it's an interesting thing to dive into. Oh, that hmm, means that somebody over there actually likes Connor and Cordy as a pairing. And that's we're going to have to talk about that if that's the case. But um, but before we we get too far into that, uh, of course we both you know had watched the, you watched it live as well I think David. Uh, I starting in season two. 
Yeah, so we both watched most of it live. Simon, you hadn't seen any Whedon until the Televerse, so this was another marathon session for you. Uh, what was your relationship with Angel as you watched it? And, and how long did it take? It took me, I, I watched it over, I would say, four months. Like, it wasn't super quick, but, you know, it's a lot it's of TV. That quick, man. The last, <laughs> well, no, trust me, I've done it much faster, and Kate is a freaking monster when it comes to these things, but anyway. Yeah. I, I'm uh, sure I, I'm convinced that Kate does not sleep. Yeah, I know. Trish, and that's the other thing. She loves sleep, which I don't get. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I, I, I got through the later seasons quicker, uh, probably because they were so serialized. But, yeah, I like Angel for the most part. I think it's got some some really great episodes and some really great arcs here and there. Like I, I would say especially the mini arcs mostly work better than the great big long ones. But then a couple of the great big long ones really don't work for me and especially by the time we get to season four which i'd actually heard quite a bit of hype about um you know when it gets really hyper serialized around there and a lot of that stuff i just found to be tiresome there's actually a line in the episode players where um where a, a character makes a makes a reference to everything being a, a turgid supernatural soap opera yep and it's like the show it, it knows it's being not very good Almost, yes. and I, I agreed. To, I, you know, there's self awareness, and then there's just knowing you're screwing up, and it seems like they knew and were powerless to stop it. I distinctly remember back when that episode aired, the uh, Angel message boards over at Television Without Pity, uh, discussing that particular line quite a bit. Yeah, season four is an interesting one, and uh, I think that's a good place to, to jump up uh, because. One of the things that Joss Whedon does so well in his shows, and we talked about this with Buffy, and um, I think if Firefly had run had a longer run, we would have got into that too, is he's very known for destroying happiness, right? Getting us to love characters and then killing them, or relationships between characters and then something terrible happens just as the, the characters have finally reached some sort of happiness. But normally when you're watching something like Buffy, there'll be two or three couples and they're always in various types of flux or, you know, these other characters are, you know, things are happening in their lives, but very rarely do all of the couples and all of the characters have just crap happening at once, just <laughs> terrible, depressing, horrible stuff happening at once. And I think a big issue with season four of Angel is that nobody is happy in the entire see for most of that entire season everybody is in a really dark place and unlike season three which has quite a bit of that as well in season three you have a lot of characters and a lot dealing with a lot of painful stuff but you also have some happiness with fred and gun and also you don't have the connor cordy stuff which for me really didn't work didn't work for a number of reasons but also just put a pall over everything else. And so it's and without that other comedic element or happy element to hold on to, after a while, as as well structured as a lot of season four was for me, it just stopped being fun. Well, I just can't believe, and we're going to get to the good stuff later, I promise, but I, I have to be negative because you guys are such Whedon fans. Uh, I can't believe that everyone involved thought that writing in uh, basically an emo teenager and I feel bad for Vincent Carthizer because he's great, but man, Connor sucks. Connor just sucks. Like later when he shows up in season five and, you know, things are different, he's not so bad. But 
I'm sorry, but th- th- for all of season four, he's just not very tolerable. I think I'm, uh, I like self diagnosed myself with a reputation as an apologist when it comes to television because I can be a little bit more fanboyish about TV than I will, am about movies that I like. And so, like, there are big chunks of Lost that I will like, make excuses for. And I think when all is said and done, I think Connor and the Connor Cordy thing makes more sense thematically, but I I do I do sympathize, even though I can't bring myself to fully admit, but I sympathize with someone who is who does not enjoy Connor while it's happening. Um but I think the Connor Cordy thing is okay. We're talking about <laughs> Joss Wheaton in general. In Buffy, as you know, dark as Buffy could get, there was this sense of like I mean the idea of Buffy was about sort of like all of Joss Whedon's work was about the family that you create, the ad hoc family that you build around yourself uh, through friends and other relationships. And there was always uh it's funny I was just reading um or not reading, I was just re- I've been rewatching some of Buffy and I watched the season 2 premiere where Buffy comes back from Los Angeles, she's very upset about the master and she's being uh a bitch. She's, yeah, she's just being awful to people and but then there's this great, it's a little cheesy and goes on a little too long because this Buffy still hadn't quite found itself. But at the end, there's this great sort of, she comes back to class and she doesn't have to apologize. Uh, Xander just automatically makes a joke and then they're back and they're friends and they're laughing again. And there's sort of this notion in Buffy that like everything will be all right eventually if you have people to lean on. And Angel is not an entirely pessimistic show. But it's a little bit more realistic and a little more uh, about compromise. It's it basically, uh, I think, this idea that, like, yeah, everything, you'll probably be okay, but that okayness won't look like what you thought it was going to be. There will be some compromise and some loss along the way. And so, on the one hand, I think that explains Connor and Cordy. They're sort of, um, Cordy sort of, the sort of settling for one another, even though it's about something more than that. You go into the whole arc, which I agree doesn't entirely work. Cordy's not settling at all. That's not Cordy. No, that's why I'm saying it doesn't work literally, but I think thematically it does work. Because at the time that you watch that, you don't know that's not Cordy. No, you don't know it's not Cordy, and therefore it doesn't make any sense. Because <laughs> Cordy would never do that. I'm not, I, and I, that's what I, that's, that's the thing. You're, you're getting at exactly what I'm talking about. This idea that, you know, uh, that anyone would never do anything. The people, the characters in Angel are less able to stand by their principles because they're they're tested more and they often come up lacking. But in the end, they sort of do, the, they pretty much do the right thing, but they've lost some of themselves in, in, in doing it. And of course, that's a big part of what the last few episodes of season five are about. But um, uh, I wanted to speak to your point, Stan, about the unhappiness in season four, and again, how yes, it is. It does drag a little while you're watching it, but in retrospect, it works because it sets up the Jasmine storyline, in which everyone goes from being unhappy to being perfectly 100% completely happy, uh, and then manages to, because of their principles, ruin that for themselves and for everyone else. <laughs> um, and and again, it, it just gets to what this this show is about. It's a much more. Uh, there's much, much, there's a lot more compromise on Angel than there ever was on Buffy, and it's a little bit more of a downer of a show because it's, it's, it's basically. Uh, I, I, I was going to get into more stuff, but I'm gonna, I can't talk for the whole however long this is. <laughs> um, but there's some stuff we'll get into when we talk about both Hero from season one and Not Fade Away that I think are are very important. Anyway, well, I think Angel. One of the things 
that I particularly enjoy about it. I think it's one of the the best spin-offs that I've ever seen. I think it because it it's sort of like with uh Frasier and Cheers where it they they took a character and they that had been on one show and then they greatly developed him and but more than that they didn't try to mimic the tone for, for that switch from Frasier to Cheers. It it became a different sort of a genre of sitcom. Mm-hmm. And with Angel, I think Angel is really quite interesting in that it's such an excellent partner or, or contrast to Buffy, whereas I, I see them as sort of a duality to those two. So mm-hmm. I see Buffy as being a much more, if you're going to label them as such a feminine show, it's much more female-centric. It's much more based around the, that notion of empowerment. And Angel feels like a much more masculine show to me. Uh, Buffy is is day, Angel is night, even just from the, the just the specifics of he's a vampire, until you get to season five and they have no budget for it. Uh, he can't <laughs> be out during the day. Um, whereas Buffy is a lot more campy uh, for much of its run. Not all of it. Of course, there's season six and some of the other stuff. Uh, Angel it feels far more noir. And uh, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward parallel of the, the, um, the teen or trying to figure out life and getting knocked down, but coming back and having a much more sunny uh, look at it. I mean, it's set in Sunnydale. And then you go to, to Angel and it's, in LA and it's dark and it's basically about an alcoholic constantly Mm. trying to not fall off the wagon. So it's, it's a very different genre while still set in the same universe. And I think that's really interesting. Well, I, I, the, the fact that it's set in the same universe is interesting, although I think it hampers them somewhat some of the time, uh, like the way they have to sort at least as long as Buffy's running while angel was, you know, also happening concurrently. They have well, to while they sure... were still on the same network. Yes. Um, they... Which is only the first two years. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's still funny, though, the way they have to make sure that they can't get too overtly cataclysmic, or at least if they do, it has to be localized to Los Angeles. Or they go to... Uh, they, they go um, over the rainbow. Yes. So that they can't be in town for uh, the end of season five of Buffy. That's why they go to... To Pylea. Season two, you mean. Yes. No, season five, so of, season five of Buffy. Buffy. Yeah. So they're, they're oh, not yes, there yeah. for, yes, for season five of Buffy and Buffy's death. Uh, so I guess, spoiler, I don't feel like I need to worry about spoilers. If you're listening to this segment, I assume that you're familiar enough with Buffy <laughs> to know that she dies at some yeah. point. But yeah, th- that's true. I will say, I, I, actually, the the post Glurb section is actually my favorite part of the whole series. <laughs> it's not it's... my favorite, but I, I love it. And I, there are a lot of people who don't, but I, I do love it. It's... It's the show at the most fun, at its most fun and clever, and just just go for broke entertainment value. I guess like it it definitely gets deeper and more. I guess there are bigger character moments that are more resonant, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the show at its most fun. fun when you say bigger character moment, now are, uh, do you uh, do you like the part in Plurt's Glurb where Cordy asks Gunn to explain reconstruction? Because that always um, <laughs> <laughs> that always hits me the wrong way. It, well, actually, that's something. An- another thing I wanted to bring up, and I guess we should talk about characters now. Before um, we before we get off of that, though, I got come on, do the dance of joy, Numfar, one of the best yes. cameos ever. <laughs> Some of the writing for Gun is embarrassing. It really is, especially in the early seasons. It it kind of gets better over the course of it, but still, every once in a while, what, or, or actually every time Gun ha- gets his own episode that deals like with his crew or with his past or whatever. It's there's usually at least three or four just head smacking moments of you needed more people of color in this writer's room, clearly. Yeah. Or I think it took them a while to define gun apart from being 
the person of color on the on yeah. the show. Because like, yeah. I think once once you get to like season five and the Wolfman Hard stuff, uh, Gunn has become his own character and has his own his own his own particular flaws and strengths, and and, and they write well to that. You know, he's got a certain sense of of pride uh, and and uh, this chip on his shoulder, and uh, they've developed the character at that point. Actually, like this stuff, like with him losing the uh, legal knowledge they put in his head and and what he does to get it back. Yeah. But I think there's also an element that J. August Richards feels much more uh, comfortable in the role once he's in a suit um, at, (laughs) at, uh, at when he's, once he's doing the lawyer thing and that, I mean, especially early on and I've seen him in a couple he's was recently, I guess, semi recently at this point, it's been off for the air for a while. He was on that other legal show on TNT for a while playing a lawyer and he just feels much more comfortable playing that type of a character. So I don't know how much, cause it's one of those things where it's kind of tricky. I don't know how much of it is the writing, which is frankly terrible for him, mm-hmm. not infrequently in the early seasons of that character and how much is also the, the actor not connecting with the material and to go back to Connor and Cordy again. I think that's a big problem for me with, with Connor and Cordy, especially in Apocalypse Nowish, uh, Charisma Carpenter was very much opposed to that storyline, and you can tell when you're watching it because there's no chemistry between those two characters. Uh-huh. Uh, and and so watching, especially in that in that you know, big moment in in Apocalypse Nowish when the world's ending and they sleep together, there is no connection there. And um, I don't you, some. You, some actors just don't have a chemistry, but also when you know that the actor was fighting against the storyline um, until they said action, it, it, I think it feeds into it. It just it really, no, it feels like nobody wanted to be there. Can someone remind me, because I've blocked a lot of it out, can someone remind me of the timeline of events that happens with Cordelia in terms of ascension and then coming back? And like, In what order does that stuff happen? Well, Cordy and Angel are going to tell the child they realize they both love each other they're going to com- uh, confess their love she ascends she and that's the season three finale that's the season right. three finale then she uh is stuck up there and his board decides to come back down um because she can't do anything up there but watch and so she comes back down and that's in the beginning of season four um she doesn't have any she's amnesiac she has no memory but um, they do this spin the bottle episode uh, to restore her memory. But when her memory is restored, that's when Jasmine takes over her body, basically. So right. she goes from saying "I love you" to to Angel, um, and, and of course we don't find out that she's possessed until much much later. So she goes from saying "I love you," and then when she gets her memory back, saying "Yes, we were in love." to the very, like, the next episode, Sleeping with Connor. Right. Mm-hmm. It so doesn't can, work. Can I can I say something controversial, possibly? Because um, the, the whole reason they did the Ascension thing was because she got pregnant, right? No, they didn't. They did the Ascension thing because it felt natural in that, for that arc. Um, they were going to, they didn't know that she was pregnant at the time. Okay. Um, at some point there, they really just should have killed her. And done something else. I mean, really, because everything, every character decision they made after that point was just ridiculous. Well, I think the trouble was that they were trying to pretend it was Cordy when it wasn't. And I and it's a tricky thing. Do you think they knew it wasn't Cordy, the writers? I don't know when they decided it wasn't Cordy. And I certainly don't think uh, 
I don't know that Charisma Carpenter knew it wasn't Cordy because that's oh, the thing. Yeah, they're because sure. they're trying. You can tell in the character and in the performance that <laughs> Charisma Carpenter is doing her best to try to make these things work, even though the the decisions and and actions of Cordy are so. In, in, there, it's anathema to, to everything we know about that character until this point. And so if if we had known that it wasn't Cordy, at least the audience had known, then we wouldn't have been yelling at our screens, in my own personal experience, watching it live, go, frustrated with the character because we wouldn't, we, it wouldn't be that she was acting out of character. It was that it was something else. And it really comes to the point where I don't think they knew what to do with Cordy after she had... Ascended. That's one of the sh things that Whedon and, in particular, Angel, the series, does so well. These characters go on these wonderful, amazing series-long journeys, but they'd kind of already run out of transformation for Cordy to have. And so, they, you know, th then all of season four, basically, it's not her, but they're trying to still kind of have their cake and eat it, too. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm so glad that Charisma Carpenter came back for the 100th episode, You're Welcome!, Mm -hmm. Even though originally that was going to be Buffy instead, and thank God, because that would have just been wrong. Yeah, it, they, they sort of attempt to patch things up with her in that episode, and it's it's a nice attempt, but it doesn't... Oh, it totally works. I don't think it works for me. It, it's a nice episode, but I don't. it doesn't undo the bad of the previous season for me. No, but it it's good that we got to see Cordy again before the end. And yeah. especially the scene when it's when it's just Cordy, Angel, and then... Doyle's image on the TV. Our rats are low. Tears yeah. every time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that can I just say? I'm sorry. That's another thing that doesn't work for me. Um, you don't like the, Doyle? I like Doyle, but he he exits the show so early that I kind of felt like I'd barely gotten to know him. So like his his exit on the show doesn't really do anything to me. Okay, you're wrong. Okay. Yeah, so, I think you're wrong. Respectfully. About that. Um, <laughs> but uh, can, but can we talk about Hero? Because in yeah. In, it, it, that and that's that's Doyle's last episode, um, and you know I've seen the series a, a number of times, and I think, in term, we were talking about its its tone, and in, in terms of tone, it did take. Sorry for the helicopter outside. the The show did take a um, a, a little bit to find its 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 tone, but I was surprised in rewatching stuff and rewatching Hero, how early on, um, it knew what its themes were. Because, uh, and I already sort of let the cat out of the bag saying what I think the the theme is, this idea that basically you're searching, you've got character, you've got Angel searching for redemption. That's his whole thing, you know, that's the, that's what the Shanshu prophecy is. Although, side note, it annoys me that they refer to it as the Shanshu prophecy later in the series, because that's not what it's called initially. Shanshu is just the word that they don't know how to translate. Mm -hmm. And then everyone just sort of caught, like even characters who weren't involved refer to it as a Shanshu. That really bothers me. <laughs> uh, that's a nitpick. But anyway, um, so you've got Angel looking to redeem himself. And with the Shanshu prophecy, the idea that is that if he redeems himself enough, he will get to be human again. And an Angel is, I, I guess, essentially then seeking redemption for himself. Uh, you know, and mm -hmm. and what we learn in this sort of mini story in um, in Hero is that Doyle also needs redemption for what he didn't have 150 years of you know awfulness, but he did deny one of his fellow demons' assistance at a time that led to that demon and his family being killed, and he's trying to redeem himself for that. 
And by the end of the episode, what ends up being the case is that Doyle's redemption doesn't come in the form of him getting to feel better or him being forgiven. It's in the form of him sort of return, sacrificing, returning returning some good, the good to the world that he allowed to be taken out of the world. And so that, that little story there is the microcosm of what Angel is. Angel, in the season one finale to Shanshu in L.A., finds out about this idea of the prophecy, and that exists in the background or, and sometimes gets mentioned for the rest of the, the series, and that's the idea then is that, uh, that's, that you think that's what the season finale, that's the form it's going to take. We're going to end with Angel being able to become human, and it's only at the end that he realizes it's not going to work like that. The only way to make a real difference and to redeem himself is going to be uh, through giving up a part of himself selflessly to the world and maybe giving up, uh, depending on how you uh, you know, interpret the final shot, um, maybe giving up all of himself uh, to to actually make a difference. And and so it, it again goes to this idea of, that I talked about earlier of compromise and that um, things will work out, but it won't look the way you thought it was going to. Well, and even I would extend it even further that as much as they're constantly dealing with big, huge stakes situations on Angel, especially in the, you know, the season four stuff um, and, and some of the other things that happen in, in the show, I th- Angel has an emphasis on the the microcosm as opposed to the macrocosm uh, in a way that that even Buffy doesn't seem to. Where and, and it's, you get it in the wonderful um, season season two episodes of with the epi- with epiphany, where it's not about saving the world; it's about fight. It's not about conquering and defeating evil; it's about fighting evil. It's about that choice every day, and it's about the little ways that you can make the world a better place oh wait is that who has that speech uh angel right okay because there's also the one like two seasons later that gun has about prophecies and the idea of things being preordained and he said you know but you never know like you get to make decisions you know i think he says a cheese sandwich here or whatever and you just have to make you never know which one is the big one so you have to make every decision as if it's the one that counts when you talk about gun that brings in something that i i was so I still love that they did with this show is they brought back Chanterelle and Lily as Anne. And it, that was such a wonderful, tiny little character to continue <laughs> on to Angel. And I love the role that she plays on this show. Yeah. Yeah. But if we're going to talk about characters on the show, there are a couple that we haven't even mentioned that we have to. And the big one for me, at least is Wes. I think Wesley's arc over Angel, this entire series is amazing and a true testament to both the writing on the show and the attention to detail of character and the commitment to a constantly changing character, but also, of course, to Alexis Denisov, who's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alexis Denisov is so good as Wesley that when I hear him talk in his real accent now, it sounds fake. <laughs> <laughs> I just think yeah. he, I think of him as a British guy. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah I, I agree. Simon, any thoughts? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Wes and Fred are very clearly the best characters, and it's disappointing, actually, especially in season four, that there are large parts of the show where Fred doesn't really get much to do, which is really too bad, Like, especially at the end of season four when she's the only one who can see what Jasmine really is, and it kind of seems like she's going to be super important, and then after she sort of wakes everyone up, she goes back to not getting a lot to do for a while, which was really, really unfortunate. It's interesting for me, because I loved... 
Fred and, and uh, Amy Acker's portrayal of her the first time that I was watching it. And in general, when I when I pop in an episode, but now having seen her do more things since when I go back and watch uh, when I go back and watch, especially the earlier season uh, seasons of Fred, it feels the performance kind of bothers me. It feels a little too folksy and I don't know. It feels a little mannered to me, which uh, if that's the price I pay for go for watching Much Ado About Nothing, then I will I will happily accept it. <laughs> Can I address a point you made about Fred going from like being a folk, be, basically being from a caricature to a real person? And we kind of addressed this with Gunn, uh, but also if you go back to uh, Wes in season three of Buffy, to where he ends up, or if you even go back to Lorne, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from uh, you know the. Does Lauren first show up in the first season or not until the second? I, can't I believe remember. it's the like the end of the first season. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, it, I think Lindsay sings mm-hmm. at his bar. Right. Yeah. We well we do see Lindsay yeah with the guitar because of course uh, Christian Kane is a singer. But isn't that yeah, when we get yeah. Mandy? Uh, I don't remember. I just remember Lindsay's song that he co-wrote uh, is called "Pretty as a Picture" and it's a really corny song. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, with all these characters, I think that's something that, whether in- intentional or not, they all go from being broader to being narrower. And I think that speaks to the point you're making, Kate, about the show being more microcosmic. Uh, and, and also, I think, about compromises. The more you have to compromise, maybe the more you learn about yourself and the more of a developed person you become. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe that's a, a theme of the show that I'm sort of just uh, formulating now. Well, and there are there are other elements. We talked about uh, Anne, and and she works for me on, on this show in a way that um, she didn't really. She wasn't really a character on Buffy, but the other character that really works for me on on Angel that doesn't really as to the same extent, though I do enjoy her uh, on Buffy, and that is uh, Faith. She really fits in the world of Angel. I think so yes. much better than in Buffy. I one hundred percent agree. She does. Uh, I do think like the stuff with Faith is good. A lot of the other supporting characters that pop in and out, they make really strange use of. Um, particularly Elizabeth Rome's character, who yeah. I don't I don't remember the name of right now. And Kate, uh, Kate, yeah, yeah. I think that's what I was talking about earlier with the show not really finding itself. Uh, I mean, yeah, that, like that was an alleyway it went down that didn't work out. The stuff with her is bizarre. It seems like it really seems like they wanted to pick up Gwen and have her be a semi regular character or. You know, really recurring character, but then she's only in like two episodes, I think. Well, which they was had really strange. It's interesting. There's some production side th- things that maybe uh, explain some of this, which doesn't, you know, which would explain maybe maybe they don't go places. Um, I would not be surprised if they wanted Gwen to be more recurring. Um, but then in season five, in order to get picked up, they had to drastically slash their budget, which is why they uh, Cordy is not on that season. Also, I, I don't know how Cordy. I don't think Cordy would have worked in that setting. At Wolfram and Hart, anyways, but they had to, so they cut her. They brought James Marshers on to try to get more of the Buffy viewers. That was, I think, that was a note from the um, from the network as well, and it worked out great. I think, um, yeah, it really did in that season. Yeah. But uh, but as far as um, so so if, the reason I would assume Jen, uh, Gwen doesn't show up more because they did seem to really like the character is budgetary reasons. But then also with Kate, uh, Elizabeth Rome got Law and Order, and originally Justine was going to be Kate. And when you know that, all of a sudden, that makes the 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 character where they kind of go with Kate and the some of the decisions when they make her more and more uh, alienated from Angel, makes a lot more sense. And it also makes Justine make more sense because I never cared about that character 
once. Or that or that actress. I'm sorry, she's no. not very good. Well, I just I never connected to that character. And if that when I found that out that originally that was going to be Kate, I was like, oh well, that makes sense. That Wait, hold have... on, which one is Justine? The redhead. She's uh, Holtz's like. Uh, oh right, 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 right. Companion. Yeah. It was effective having Wesley keep Justine in a closet. Imagine what it would have been like if he was basically torturing Kate. Yeah. But uh, on yeah. that happy, cheery thought, this is such a show of, of happy, cheery thoughts. Let, let's talk about some of the funny stuff, because I actually think one of the things that Angel really does well, and for the character of Angel, is recognize that David Boreanaz is probably at his best when he gets to be funny, either as Angel or Angelus. And uh, that's one of the things I actually really like the season one episode, Sense and Sensitivity, which is actually a big Kate episode as well, because <laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> but when we were talking uh, earlier, very briefly, about bringing James Marsters in, one of the great things about season five is that there's so much humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, season five is, can I just, I'm just going to put it out there. Season five is the best season. Um, because it's, it's basically the antithesis of season four. And like you said, there, there's a lot, there's a lot more sort of standalones. There's a lot more humor, uh, adding Marsters is, I didn't know, I didn't know it was, uh, the WB's idea or the, or which, or the, was it UPN at that point? Uh, no, they were, this um, was on WB. I believe, I mean, I could be wrong, but I know James Marsters didn't want to come on the show if somebody from the original cast was going to be cut. It was, it was a murky thing, but I think they weren't going to necessarily bring the show back. And then it was a surprise when it got canceled after the fifth season because it was their second highest rated show at the time. I, d- I still don't understand what the WB was thinking. But anyway, sorry, continue. Strange. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I think for that reason, for the humor, for uh, Marsters coming in, for the, for the general uh, sort of shedding of the excessive dourness of uh, season four and parts of season three, I think season five is the best season. I, I, I've come around on that, and I think you're probably right, even though I think it starts off pretty wobbly. Um. And it's such, I think at the time that I watched it, when it first aired, it was such a tonal shift that I had trouble adjusting to it. But in, in rewatches and, and rewatching some of the season five episodes uh, recently, I think I agree with you. Well, and when I was just trying, like, first deciding what episodes I should rewatch, which are the ones that really stand out to me, most of the episodes that I thought of immediately were season five episodes, both on the comedic yeah. and dramatic side. So you have Smile Time. Which is amazing. The puppet vampire episode, for those who don't know, Angel gets turned into a puppet. And then on the other side, you have the utterly devastating hole in the world, which happens immediately after. I couldn't. Yeah. When I was I was listing epi- like episodes I wanted to rewatch, and I was like, I should probably rewatch a hole in the world that's one of the best ever. And I just couldn't I do really it. Have, I, I can't bring myself to watch that episode. I've seen it probably three times. And I think that, uh, I don't know, I, I'll, my girlfriend and I are going to do a rewatch, a full rewatch again somewhat soon. So I'll, I'll have to watch it again then. But it is it is very difficult for me to watch. Yeah, she's Amy Acker is just really, really good. And that was for me, that that was the first real sense I had of just how good she is. Because, I mean, I'm sure she's doing stuff that looking back on it, you can see a lot of her ability and her range. But Mm -hmm. Fred did very much feel like that same character for most of the run. There's that bit in season four where things get dark after supersymmetry. But for the most part, Fred felt like Fred. And so sometimes on these shows, you don't know how how much range the actor has or if they're just really good at 
that type of character. I would say that's the case sometimes for Elijah Dushku. She's really good at that faith type character, but I don't know that she necessarily has the same kind of range as some of these other actors in the Buffyverse have. But then when you have that immediate switch from Fred to Illyria, whew. Yeah. Yeah. And the Illyria switch is roughly 10,000 times more effective than what happens with Cordy. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I see. Um, well, J- Joss Whedon is, is notable. I think he's really great at writing sort of last words. There's mm-hmm. a lot of them in Angel Alone, but uh, Fred's last words might be the ones that, uh, I don't know, they hurt me more than any- anyone else's. Definitely. And props to Alexis Denisoff in that scene as well. That scene yep. doesn't work without him either. And by the way, maybe my second favorite of all time last words is in Not Fade Away. Yeah. Oh man, I'm getting I'm getting choked up. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's getting dusty just thinking about it. Let's talk because we're already over time. I knew it was going to happen, but let's talk a little bit about Not Fade Away because I think it's one of the best series finales ever. Can and, I? I know I'm totally like I feel like I'm running roughshod over you guys. I have so much to say. Uh, <laughs> go for it. Can I talk uh, address one of Simon's points that I agreed with uh, about um, like uh, tertiary occurring characters that didn't work. Um, and I think by the end, it took them a while, but by the end of season five, they really made Lindsay work um, a- a- as a character to a point that I didn't when he was initially on the show. Although I think he worked so well in season five that I now have sort of reevaluated him in the first two seasons. Uh, do you guys agree with, with, uh, uh, with me on Lindsay? Eh, I'm pretty iffy on Lindsay. I, I thought they were going to... The, in, and in general, the, the Wolfram and Hart crew who we spend time with in season two, uh, a lot of those scenes, I d- when they were, by the time that season was over, I wasn't really sure why we spent quite so much time with them. I think they, I think Lindsay works. I enjoy him in his smarmy lawyer days, but when they started to toy with, is he going to become a good guy? Um, I don't know how well that worked and you couldn't go back and forth with that. So I think it was smart for them to toy with that, but then have the character leave and get some space. And I thought it was effective when they brought him back, especially, I mean, I was mostly watching for spoilers at the time and I don't remember finding out about that. And mm-hmm. like, so that reveal of him in season five was a surprise to me. Yeah. But what I think one of the smartest things they did was basically just transition to Lila instead. And I actually really like Lila and think she works very well on the show in that, in that role. Uh, Stephanie Romanoff has really good chemistry with David Boreanaz. And I think, I think Lila and uh, Angel work even better as you know, sort of adversaries in a way than, than Lindsay and Angel do. But of course yeah, she also definitely. has, fantastic chemistry with Alexis Denisoff. And I really like yeah. the, the, what, the way that they use her to tell us so much about Wesley. Yeah. I think, it, and that's something that, that they would do with like characters like Anya on Buffy. Uh, I think if you go back and watch Lila's first episode in, in season two, is it or season one? I think it's even it, season one, but it might is be it the, Is it the ring? Is that the one, the fight club? Yeah, episode? She's in the ring. Yes. Uh, and I, I think if you watch that episode, you don't get the impression that the that they're writing on a new recurring character, you know, uh, to the point that they are. She doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like someone who's going to be around a whole lot. Uh, she seems she seems like just another one of the lawyers. Uh, and um, I think that the things you're talking about, the chemistry, really inspired the the writers to keep writing for her and yeah, and, and, and keep her around. And, and I I think her and Wesley have one of the most interesting relationships in the entire show. Definitely. Well, pretty much everything Wesley does is... Yeah. He he doesn't really get any bad storylines. Uh, basically, everyone else gets at least one iffy storyline, I think, and he doesn't have any. 
Well, and also Alexis Denisov manages to sell uh, cyborg fake father. You know, so, so even the stuff that maybe shouldn't work does. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, I do want to talk about the finale though. Um, one of the things that I think makes this finale really work is because I do think there's a correct way to interpret the ending, and I think it is a, is now been proven wrong by the fact that the comics continue and there is a season six in a way. But basically, uh, as far as I'm concerned, though I do have read the comics and I do enjoy them and I know that they're canon, they all die in yeah, the finale. I don't, I, I, whether you can tell me all day that the comics are canon, but none of those people in that scene is alive anymore after. Maybe after Illyria. Yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe Illyria. Yeah, but I guess Illyria comics weren't going to sell the same way. That would be great. Another spinoff. They, I'm sure they have them actually. Uh, th there's some. The, the, they're a lot of fun, really, what they do in the comics after the fall. I recommend, you know, if you're looking for something to read, they're a lot of fun. But the structuring of the episode as, okay, he set up the plot, set up what's going to happen. Now everybody go have your final moment, have your final day, which basically allows them to have a, a, a defining moment. Who are these people? What is most important to them? What are they willing to do? Who are they? And that, that gives you such a perfect send-off for the show. It's such an intelligent way to structure a finale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good finale. I have no complaints about it. And my favorite thing anyone chooses to do is actually Wesley, um, which is, I guess, what I, th what I like to think I would do in that situation, which is not behave as if I'm going to die and just keep doing what I was doing. Well, it's just it's full. It's full of shoutouts. You have uh, you have the the terrible poem from what, what was that? Fool for Love back in uh, yeah, Buffy yeah. for Spike. Yeah. You have uh, Anne coming back one more time, which is another nice callback there. And it just it it's perfect for for each character. I really was so glad they brought back um, they brought back Connor for that last last episode. I very much enjoyed him there, and you can kind of it's. It's so nice to have uh, a picture of to see Vincent Carthizer not be incredibly um, annoying on no, this yeah. show. It's also nice to picture Angel attending the first the taping of the first episode of the Carol Burnett show. <laughs> yes, uh, we, you know it's funny. Uh, we, it's I know that we're past the character segment and we're talking about the finale, but uh, we haven't mentioned Lorne really oh, at all. And love Lorne. Uh, he's also a, a great character who it was such a smart choice to make him a regular, even if the makeup must've been hell. Yes. Rest in peace, Andy Hallett. I uh, always get sad. Everyone go to the freaking dentist. Sorry. That's what? my, uh, Andy Hallett. The reason he passed away was that he got a dental infection that spread into, it got messed up, ended up messing up his heart and he died several years later from complications from it. So it's important to go to the dentist. Sorry, I feel the need to say that every yeah, now and again. I've been to the dentist in forever. Now, yeah, you've, you've just scared the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, you, you should do that. Anyways, to not, you know, live on the more depressing side of this, Lauren is just such a fabulous, fantastic character. He, because, again, it's that, it's that shading to uh, this group. You need some levity. He's usually, he helps with that, but also just the, the style that he brings. I really enjoy his episodes, even if they're not always the greatest, but the house always wins. It's not a particularly good episode, but I love spending that time with Lauren. And then his episode in season five is really great too. And the way that he ends, oh, such a wonderful noir moment. And I love that there's one of the group that just walks away because he can't handle it. 
Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. And the last uh, behind the scenes thing I'll mention, because uh, I feel like I kind of have to. We've talked about Lindsay. One of the things that really doesn't work for me in season five, as much as season five is my favorite season, is Eve. And then I found out mm. that originally Marina Baccarin was going to play Eve. Ah. But she couldn't get out of a pilot. That's interesting. I actually like Eve. I don't have any problem with Eve. I only don't like Eve when she ends up getting paired up with Lindsay and she becomes kind of uh, ordinary, I guess. I, I, I like her in, the, in her capacity at Wolfram and Hart and her role there, but... That aspect didn't interest me. I'd never buy her for a moment in her role as, you know, she's supposed to, ha you know, be the power, the spokesperson for the powers that be for, sorry, for the, for the senior partners. And I don't believe it for a moment. Yep. Is that just me, I, David? Where are you? Uh, I think I, I lean more towards your point of view, Kate. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. It's something I don't have a problem with that everyone else does. There's a woman who works in my office building who looks exactly like, was her Sarah Thompson? Is that the actress's name? Yeah. It's it like every, I, every time I see her on the elevator, I do a double take. <laughs> well, when they bring in Adam Baldwin as Marcus, I just I believe it so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Are there any other characters or cast that we want to mention? It's great when they bring in Stanis McNabb as Harmony in season five. I think that's another reason that there's that extra humor because she's great. Yeah. Yeah. She's really good. We should mention uh Pat Healy in his brief uh, brief episode, Disharmony, another uh, Harmony episode as, as season two, yeah, season two as the vampire cult leader. Yeah, that that that's a good one. I, as much as Holtz doesn't interest me that much as a character, but I I, I do think uh, Keith Sarabachi did a good job with him. Well, and speaking of Holtz, the other the uh, what's the demon? Sajan. 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 Yeah. I love Sajan. <laughs> I love the reveal of his his problem with Angel. Oh, great. <laughs> Angel just can't remember. <laughs> well, and one yeah. of the funniest things about Holtz for me is somewhere out there there's a um there's a clip of a, an outtake or something with with Holtz and Keith Sarabashias and I'm probably pronouncing his last name wrong, honestly, but his normal speaking voice is so much higher than yeah. Holtz. It's just hilarious and awesome well we are very long as anticipated um let's just say then i guess final thoughts favorite episodes yeah i can't believe we didn't talk about darla darla's great i could go on all day about darla but like you said we're going long okay favorite episodes for me i'll do one from each season real quick uh season one i will remember you it's the only real crossover that really works except for the one with seth green in season two which i like or, or that's also season one anyway um uh season two are you now or have you ever been uh, season three, Waiting in the Wings, which is probably my second favorite Angel episode of all time. Season four, Spin the Bottle. Season five, Not Fade Away. Okay. Any other thoughts? I think I, I've clearly talked enough. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, how about you? I like all the episodes you mentioned, except for um, Are You Now, Wherever You Ever Been, which if it's the episode I think it is, I found a little bit on the didactic, didn't we learn a lesson today side. Um, the Obviously, Smile Time is great. Uh, Epiphany is really good. It's a, there's a lot of good individual episodes. I just, like I said, there's large swaths of it that just don't work for me, especially in the later seasons. But thankfully, I do think they course corrected with season five, which I think, which I think proves that some shows just do better when they get, when they get some restrictions thrown at them. Uh, episodes that I really like that we haven't, I've 
love all the ones that have been mentioned. I do want to mention uh, Billy really works for me, and that's another fabulous performance from Alexis Denisoff that really sells that episode. I'm a, I'm a big fan of You're Welcome, which I already mentioned once, mm-hmm. and that, that shout-out to to Doyle was much appreciated for me. Um, I I will then just mention a couple more of those um, season, season five, uh, Hole in the World and Shells that transfer the between the two. And then just some of these, the smaller self-contained ones, like the cautionary tale of numerous Senko. It's just such a weird episode, <laughs> but it's, but it's just so fun. There's a lot of individual, especially in season five, but over the course of the entire series, there's a lot of individual episodes like that, that, that just really work and are, are really entertaining. Um, the final thought that I'll mention is I, I really love the way they handled Darla and Drew on the show in season two. It's uh, it's, wonderful performances the the arc they take darla on i was sad when she died and that's yeah. that's good work on their part oh another real quick uh, uh small uh character and performance that i want to mention is sam anderson is helen manners he's he's great Oof, yeah yeah he's really good and it's it's fun that he only ever seems to play like really nice characters or really awful characters <laughs> nowhere in between um i love the theme song cello rock it's fits the character uh of angel and it's it's I, I just i like it and um and then the the last last thing I do really like the way that they pay off their prophecies on this show. Um, I'm personally of the opinion that I, I like that they really set up Spike as totally legitimate, uh, legitimately worthy of the Shanshu instead of Angel. And then also yeah. I love that the father will kill the son happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. And though I, that was just so great the way that they paid that off, it was wonderful. And um, yeah, it's 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 it shows a lot of fun. It's much darker than Buffy. These characters go to some really like we said, dark places, parts of it. I know some of you love season four, Bill. I know you really enjoyed it, but, um, and so, so different things will work for different people. But if you haven't seen Angel, especially if you have seen Buffy, I'm always very puzzled by the number of people who have seen Buffy, but haven't checked out Angel. It's definitely a show worth watching. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun talking. Oh, so long with you guys. Uh, David, thank you again so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find me talking movies uh, or writing about movies or other people writing about movies uh, on my podcast slash website, Battleship Pretension. That's battleshippretension.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Is there another podcast you want to mention? I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I mean, there's previously on. Yeah, so mid-April I'm doing a TV podcast with Paul Goebel that I think is going to be called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David but it could be called something else. <laughs> well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll just have to uh, keep you keep you guys informed. We'll post a little update uh, by the time in the episode so that you guys can go find them. But obviously, David and also Paul, we're, we enjoy both of you guys, so I'm sure if people like our podcast, they would like your podcast as well. So thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening and bearing with our lengthy chat about Angel. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. <laughs>